Uh, welcome to Restoration Church. My name is uh, Pastor Kevin. If I have not had the chance to uh, meet you or greet you this morning, I hope I get the chance to at some point uh, before we're done today. Uh, let me just start out and say thanks for being here. We're, we're, we're just thankful to have you here uh, worshiping Jesus with us. And uh, uh, we are, are a church where the desires that we all come from different walks of life, uh, different ethnic back, backgrounds, different, uh, um, different backgrounds in themselves, and we come together to worship the same Jesus. And so if you're here with us today, thank you for being here. Uh, we welcome you and are excited to have you here with us today. I was thinking about the, one of the ways that I grew up, and, and I've told you guys this story before. I've told you guys I was a mountain climber. And when I say I was a mountain climber, what that really means is I climbed one mountain when I was younger. And uh, so that constitutes being a mountain climber. And when we were getting ready to climb this mountain, uh, I was a boy scout, and we had a scout leader who... Uh, uh, took me and our, our troop together, and, and they said, well, what do we want to do next? What's our next activity? And none of us really knew what to do. And so the scout leader said, hey, jump in the car, okay? And he, and he grabbed all of us boys, and he put us in the car, and he drove us down uh, Highway 97, drove us down Satis Pass. And, and, and as you're thinking about driving down Satis Pass, Highway 97, you come down off of Satis Pass, and you, right as you're approaching Goldendale, you get these majestic views of Mount Hood. Like, you guys have been there, you've seen, like, like you're coming down, you see Mount Hood up there, and you're like, that is amazing, that is beautiful. And I remember what the scout leader did, is he, is he took us down Highway 97, and he stopped on the shoulder of the road, and he said, hey, you see that mountain right there? He said, just imagine. Imagine what it would be like to be on top of the mountain. Picture yourself on top of the mountain, looking out all over the horizons, and just picture yourself on top of that mountain. And this became the visual for me and my buddies that we began to think about. And I was thinking about that time when, I was, when, when he showed us Mount Hood. And I was thinking to how that story relates to how the book of James has begun. See, we're in this series called uh, Faith Worth Living, uh, looking at the book of James. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to the book of James. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back. He'll come and, and bring one of these up to you. And uh, I really do believe that we have a faith that is worth living. And I love because James, the author of this book, James is a pastor like me. James loves people. He's, he's concerned about the church. He's concerned about his, his friends. He cares for them. And as James started out this book, he started talking about trials. The reality of our life, we have trials. We have hardships. We have circumstances in our life that become difficult. James knew this. And he started his book out talking about trials because he knows every one of us in this room will have hardships that come our way. And then after talking about trials, James transitioned to start talking about temptations. And everybody in this room will have temptations. We will have desires from our own heart to not look to God to be the source of our peace and our satisfaction and our joy. And we'll look for all sorts of things that will divert us from God to give us a false sense of security, a false sense of peace, a false sense of hope. And James understood this, so he started talking about temptations and how we deal with temptations. James knows our struggle. He knows all of our struggle. Knows what it's like to struggle through life like you and I do. And this is why I love what he said at the end of last week's text. Last week's text, he said in verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow 
do to change. See, what James says is what we have to do is we have to remember that God is good. Like, we have to remember, like, all the good gifts in our life come from God. And, and, and I said, this is what we need to do. We need to start looking and thinking about all the good things that God has given us. We can think about, we can think about all the things that God has given us, like breath. Like, we have air in our lungs today. That is a good gift. Like, we've got family. We've got friends. That is a good gift. We've got football that is a good gift. We've got all these things that we often take for granted that we need to understand. These are good gifts that God has given us. This is, a, this is evidence that God is, is for you, that God is providing for you, that God is concerned for you. And then James also said in verse 18 last week, he said, of his own will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits." Of his creatures. See, I love this. Because James is going to spend a, a good amount of time in this book telling us what to do. He's going to say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live this life of faith. But before he does that, before he gets to saying this is what you're supposed to do, he's going to emphasize our identity. He's going to say, listen, if you are a Christian, you are chosen by God. You are the first fruits of his creatures. You are above all the other creatures. You are his chosen creatures in all of creation. James, again, he understands the struggle we're going to have. He understands that we're going to struggle to trust God's wisdom. He understands we're going to struggle with temptation. We're going to struggle to remember that God is ultimately good. He knows that we're sinful. And he starts his book out. Dealing with our identity. The fact that we as Christians, we are desired. We are choice. We are chosen. We are beloved. This is our identity. This is our destiny. As Christians, we are the first fruits of his creation. We are, we are chosen. You think, why, why, does, why does James start out emphasizing our identity? Why does he start making this emphasis that we were chosen by God, that we're going to, that we are his first fruits of his creatures? And I think, again, James, man, he understands us. He's been in our shoes. He knows what it's like. And he knows that in order for us to change, in order for us to change in the midst of the trials that we face, or in order for us to change in the midst of the temptations we face, in order for us to experience life change, James understands that we need a vision. We need a, a, a picture. We need a narrative of who we are, of where our life is headed. Because when we don't have that vision of who we are, when we don't have the vision of, of what God is doing in us and through us, what's going to happen is it's going to become a struggle. We're going to try and do the things that God says to do, but it's going to be a struggle for us. Because rules are just hard to follow. And if we take Christianity, and instead of boiling it down to this great vision, and we boil it down to a bunch of rules, man, that's hard to follow. This is why our, our, our scout leader, this is why he's looking and saying, I want to get these 14, 15, 16-year-old kids to climb this mountain. This is why the first thing he understood he had to do was take us down to give us a vision of this mountain. To give us a picture of what it was going to be like. Because he knew, hey, there's lots of training you have to go through. 
You've got to learn the rules of climbing a mountain because there's safety issues involved. You can die on a mountain. He understood that. And, but he understood in order for us to endure, it, we're not going to make it just by knowing all the rules. Knowing all the rules is not going to get us up that mountain. Because the reality is when we got tired, when we're climbing and we get tired, when that mountain seems too hard, when the mountain seems like an unreachable uh, 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 obstacle in front of us, when the altitude elevation begins to, to affect our breathing, he understood that rules itself wasn't going to get us up that mountain. We needed that vision. We needed that picture of what we could become, of what it would be like for us to make it up that mountain. And it's the same thing in our faith. The reality is, rules don't transform us. Beauty is what transforms us. And this is why, this is why there, there are even some in here, why they don't go to church, why they've battled coming to church for such a long time. Because you were in church. You learned the rules. And you found the rules were difficult. The rules didn't produce change in your life. Because you tried to, to do all the religious things. You tried to do what they said to do. But there was no transformation. The issue was, you haven't been stunned by the beauty of the gospel. You haven't been given a, a, a picture of your identity as God's chosen, as God's first fruits of all of his creatures. Man, understanding who you are changes everything. Because when you understand who you are, what happens is your, activ your activity comes out of your identity. See, this is what happens. Your activity comes out of your identity. And so before James is going to tell you what to do, he's going to make sure you and I know who we are. Before he's going to say, this is what you've got to do, he wants us to know who we are. We are God's chosen. We are his first fruits of his creatures. This isn't a God that we have to work to try and, 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 and obey and receive his love. We're not trying to earn his love. No, our, our work for him, our obedience to him, is, is instead of based on trying to earn his love, it's based off gratitude for the fact that he loves us, that he has chosen us, and he has made us his child, his son, and his daughter. So James starts his book out very importantly, that we have to get this vision of who we are. And with that foundation in place, now James is ready to talk about the word of truth. He's ready to talk about the Bible, about, about what God's Word has to say. And so today, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And again, with that foundation of our identity, with that, excuse me, with that foundation of our identity laid, James is ready to talk about the Word of truth, about God's Word. And he's going to talk about what we're supposed to do with God's Word. That's what we're going to deal with today. What are we supposed to do with God's Word? And so I've titled this message, Hearers and Doers. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And uh, before, we, before we jump in, I'm going to ask you just to jo join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here today, God. This, this beautiful building uh, with, God, your people. God, in the church. God, the church is not just a building. We're thankful for this place to meet in, but God, the church is the people around us right here. So God, thankful for this opportunity to be gathered with your people. 
And God, as I pray, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you help us to understand. We're not listening to a pastor share his opinion. But God, this is your holy, living word that you have given to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to hear today. That we would understand that you are speaking directly to us. God, I pray that you would draw us into uh, a deepening relationship with you. God, give us clarity. Give us understanding. We love you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, and this is, what, this is what James writes. He says, know this. He's saying, based on what we just said, based on the fact that our identity is set as God's chosen. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Can I just make a bold statement right now? I think God sometimes wants us to repent of our personalities. I think God sometimes wants us to repent of our personalities. This is going to be an opportunity for us to kind of look at ourselves and, and have an opportunity to kind of confess a little bit about, about ourselves. Because here's, here's, what, here's what James says. He says, let every person be quick to hear. Okay? So let me just ask you, okay, to confess. How many of you would say, I'm slow to listen? I'm slow to hear. Okay? Because this, this is where we as people, sometimes we get information. Sometimes we're in a room and somebody's talking to us. And they're like, hey, I'm talking to you. Did you hear me? And you're like, what? I, I'm talking to you. Did you get what I said? And you're like, huh? Huh? See, this is, this is, where, this is where you can get information. You can, you can even open up the word of God. But you're not really listening. Your mind is someplace else. Your mind is not, not soaking in the information. It's not paying attention. See, this is, this is where James is saying, you open up God's word, and maybe you read it, maybe you hear it, maybe you listen to it, but you're not really hearing it. You're not pondering it. You're not considering it. You're not receiving it. Okay? And I would imagine, if we're looking at some of our personalities, I would imagine that some of us are not always quick to hear. Some of us, somebody says something to us, or we hear God's word, and our mind is immediately going to another place. And our mind isn't focusing on what's being said. And sure, we're quiet, but we're not really listening. I think this is what James is talking about. That we need to be quick to hear. Secondly, he says, let every person be slow to speak. Okay, here's your confession. How many of you are quick to speak? How many of you got to get that word in? Like you're just like a chatterbox. This is where you're not really listening because you're too busy talking. You're the type of person who can't let things go. You've got to get the last word in. You're the kind of person who uh, you've got to make sure that your input is heard. You've got to make sure that your voice is considered. This is where James says, listen, listen, you've got to be slow to speak. In fact, there's these old rabbis that used to teach the Old Testament. And this, this is what the old rabbis would say. They say, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. Ouch. Does that sound like the way you and I live? Third one, James says. He says, let every person be 
slow to anger. Confession. How many of you are quick to anger? How many of you have a short temper? Typically, anger works itself out through these other two. Like when you're slow to hear, when you're quick to speak, typically that's going to lead to you being quick to anger. It's kind of like they go together. Quick to hear, I mean slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. How many of you would say that you're an angry person? And I want you just to, to think about yourself. Like some of us are, are, have this thing where, where one little thing will set us off the edge. One little thing will cause us to blow up on somebody else. We, we have this, this propensity to erupt in anger on anybody near us. It might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a neighbor, it might be, a, might be the guy who cuts you off when you're driving to church. Whatever it is, some of us have this propensity to be quick to anger. Or maybe, maybe, maybe your anger doesn't play itself out like that where you're blowing up on people. Maybe you have this kind of passive anger. Or maybe you're not going to blow up verbally on someone, but in your mind. You're filled with anger. You're, you're, you're yelling at them in your mind. You're just blowing up on them. And this is what you're doing. Instead of blowing up, it's an internalized anger. And you become extremely bitter inside your heart. And I know, I know, there's, there's someone here that thinks, well, it's okay. It's okay that I'm angry. You know, it's, it's, I justify my anger. It's not my fault. It's the other person's fault. Like, if they would have done this, then I would have gotten angry. So it's their fault. They did it to me, and that caused me to be angry. Other people justify it and say, well, anger is it's one of God's emotions. Like, if God can be angry, then certainly I can be angry too. Yeah, but the thing is, God doesn't get angry like we get angry. Right? In fact, I heard a, a pastor speak this, uh, I heard a pastor this past week, I listened to him, and he was talking about the New Testament. We understand the New Testament. The New Testament authors, they wrote the New Testament while they had the Old Testament with them. So they could read the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible, as you're writing the New Testament. And what's interesting, this is what the pastor said. You know the most, the, ver- the Bible verse that most quoted by the New Testament authors, the verse from the Old Testament that they quote the most in the New Testament, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Which says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, gracious, slow to anger. See, unlike our anger, God's not teetering on the edge of anger. He's not waiting for, for you and I or someone just to do that one thing that's going to completely set him off. No, God has a very long wick. And that wick is very slow. Burns very slow. Which is very different than our anger. In fact, James understands the, the, the issue with anger. He understands that we, we, many of us have this struggle with anger. And so this is what he says in verse 20. And this is just a, a powerful verse for you to consider. James says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, this, is our, this is our quick-tempered, our, our, our short-fused anger. Does not produce the righteousness of God. There's, there's two ways for us to understand that. First, that short temper, that, 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 that quick to anger, uh, anger that we have, man, that does not produce the righteousness of God. means that's not the fruit that God is looking for in our life. Like when we have that propensity to anger, and that's not what God wants in our life. That's one way to look at that. But there's another way for us to, to, to consider this. 
And he's saying that this, this self-reliant, this quick-tempered, this short-fused anger cannot change a person's heart. It cannot produce the righteous of God in somebody else's heart. Even when it's aimed at a wrongdoing, even when somebody has generally wronged you, and you have the uh, propensity to respond in anger, listen, that anger cannot produce the righteousness of God. How many of you have seen this play out in your life? You get angry, and what happens when you get angry? What happens when you blow up? Anger leads to more anger. Anger leads to fear. Anger never changes a person's heart. In fact, when we think about, when we think about God, man, God, God doesn't get angry like we do. In fact, how does God try and change us? Does he try and change us by being angry at us? No. He changes us in a completely different way. In fact, this is the character of God. 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John, this is what he wrote. He says, God is love. God's motivation to change us isn't out of this anger. Because he understands that's not in itself going to change your hearts. What changes our hearts is love. And if you're one of these people like me, who you have a propensity to be quick to anger, man, that just cuts deep. That cuts so deep. See, man, when we have these, these, these struggles with, with anger, man, I can stand up here and say, with my, as a man who has struggled himself, in humility, or possibly in my own humiliation of my struggle, Man, I, I would just suggest that I think there are many in here who didn't raise their hand that struggle with anger, just unwilling to admit it. You have this struggle deep inside of us, and you, you try and deny that it's a problem. You try and justify the anger in your life. But truthfully, if you were to be honest, I would say there's probably quite a few of us in here today that are enslaved to anger. What happens and how this plays out is we have these lusts in our heart. We have the, the, the lust of, of the flesh. We have lust of our heart. We have a, a, a mindset that says we're entitled to certain things. We have an entitlement mentality. And what those things lead, when you have those lusts of the heart, when you have that entitled, entitlement attitude, what that leads to is anger. It might be a passive anger. It might be a verbal anger. It might be a physical anger. But this is what it, this is what it leads to. Listen, if you're one of these people like me, who you have a propensity to be quick to anger, I've got good news for you. God loves you. God loves you. God is seeking to change you. In fact, I believe that possibly is why God brought you here today. Because God wants to, to take this from you. God wants to take this anger and change you from being quick to anger. And change you to be what his word says. To be slow to anger. And just as God is saving me from my anger, God wants to save you from that. God wants to save you from that anger. God wants to, to heal you from that anger. God wants to transform your heart to where you aren't quick to anger. To where you are one of those people who are exp experiencing the, the fruit of God in your life. The Holy Spirit. And that you would be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen, I know that God wants to do this because of what James says next. He says, he says in verse 21, 
He says, therefore. Therefore, because these things don't produce and don't, don't please God, they don't produce the righteousness of God, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says, put away. This idea of put away kind of carries the idea of, of taking off, taking something off. This picture of, of, of taking off dirty clothes. So, for example, our family, we moved out to these orchards this past summer. And our, our kids love being out on the orchard. The kids will go out and ride golf carts and, and play in the mud and have all sorts of fun time out there. But the problem is they get all muddy and then they want to come inside the house and track mud all over the place. This is why houses have mud rooms. A place where you come, you take off the dirty clothes so you don't bring them all into the house. And this is the, this is the picture that James is giving us. Is that you, you, you put away, you take off the dirty junk. And here's what he says. He says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's James's first big idea. Regarding the word of God, he's saying we need to receive God's word humbly. He's saying we need to hear God's word. We need to, we need to hear it. We need to listen to it. We need to receive it. We need to believe it. We need to do it. And, and, and here he is. He's dealing with these issues. He's dealing with these issues that you and I might just call our personality, if you will. We just have this personality to, to be slow to hear and to be quick to speak and quick to anger. And we just excuse it as our personality. But listen, James calls these things, okay? And if you can identify yourself as being slow to listen, quick to hear, quick to anger, James calls these things filthiness and wickedness. And what James is going to do is he's going to come to the very heart issue for us. He's saying these, these, these issues, they are a matter of us hearing and receiving and submitting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying take, take, take anger. Look at anger. And what James isn't going to do is he's not going to give us some techniques to calm down, which those are good. That's not a bad thing, but that's not what James does. Instead, what he says is, is, you're not listening well. You're speaking too much. You're quick to anger. You're not producing the righteousness of God. And so here's what you need to do. You need to humbly receive the gospel anew and afresh. You submit yourself to the word of God, which is able to save your souls. That the word of God is able to save you from these behaviors. is able to save you from these indwelling sins that keep you from pleasing God. This is what James wants us to hear today. This is where I want us to be quick to hear what God is trying to say to us. He's saying, listen, take off the filthiness. Turn away from your sin and humbly receive the implanted word. Receive the word of God. Receive the gospel. Embrace Christ. Trust him. As your Savior, trust Him to deal with these issues in your heart and in your life. Listen, I know there are some, possibly in here today, who have never done this. You've never received the gospel. You've never received the Word of God. You wouldn't identify yourself today as being a Christian. Let me say, I'm thankful you're here. I am thankful that you are here. 
Listen, I invite you today, I invite you to hear the gospel, to hear about Jesus, to hear the word of God. Because if we're going to be honest, here's what you're going to hear from the Bible. You're going to hear that, that we cannot please God. There's nothing in us that we have the ability to please God. But God made a way for us to bring pleasure to God. For us to be accepted by Him. And that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life that you and I couldn't. And then Jesus died the death that we deserved. And Jesus made a way through that wrath-absorbing death to set you and I free. To allow you and I to know God personally. To become the first fruits of his creatures. That we could be the sons and daughters of God. And so I just want to encourage you here today. Listen, believe the word of God. Receive the word of God. Embrace it. Receive in humility the gospel. That Jesus came to take your place on the cross. To change your heart. To change your life. Put your faith in the gospel of God. Which is able to save your souls. First thing that James says is, you hear the word of God. You humbly receive it, and you hear it, and you do it. But there's a second thing that James wants to tell us to do with the word of God. And I gotta ask you this question. Do you know who James is talking to in this passage? Like, who is James talking to? Is he talking to to Christians or non-Christians? Is he talking to the church or the unchurched? If you look at verse 19, James, the way he starts out, he said, Dear brothers, referring to Christians, fellow Christians, believers, he's saying, listen, brothers, don't just hear the word. You have to put the word into action. You actually have to do it. Here's what he says, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, this was an issue in James' day, in James's day, and it's still an issue in our day. Where we kind of have created this Christianity where it's kind of like you've got to vote. Do you choose God or Satan? Do you choose heaven or hell? And as long as you vote on the right side, like that's all you got to do. Boom, I'm set. I'm good for life. Or, or you begin to take Christianity and you make the priority all about learning. Like if I could just learn more about God, if I could just, just uh, believe the right things, then I would be set. And what happened in James' day, as well as in ours, is you get a lot of people who are really smart. They know a lot about the Bible. They, 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 they've been to church for a long time. They've agreed with the preaching. They've nodded with the preacher. They've, they've learned Bible verses. They've sang all the worship songs. They, 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 they've done all these things. And they use the Bible for information. And they make Christianity all about information. Listen, Christianity is not about information. Christianity is all about transformation. Don't be confused. And listen, I come from a theological background. I appreciate the knowledge I have of God. But listen, Christianity is not about knowledge. It's about transformation. That's exactly what it is about. And James is saying, don't just be a hearer of the word of God. Be a doer of the word of God. Put it into action. In fact, this is what he says. He says something at the end of verse 22 that scares me. He says, 
Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. He's saying this is a word of caution. Because there's a temptation. There's a temptation for us Christians to say we have all the knowledge in the world. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a story, kind of a, a picture. And he says there's going to be people that will come to Jesus in heaven and say, yo, bro, bro, I'm here. Let me in, man. And they're going to say, yeah, Jesus, remember? Remember I went to church all that time. Jesus, Jesus, remember I listened to all the Christian music on the radio. Like I was all Christian music. Jesus, Jesus, I went to Sunday school. Jesus, I taught Sunday school. Jesus, I had the cross earring on my neck. I had the cro cross earring on my ear and the cross necklace on my neck. Jesus, Jesus, I shared that picture on Facebook. And I commented on, and, I, and I said amen in the comment, Jesus. Let me into heaven, bro. And Jesus is going to say this. Depart from me. I never knew you. And this is how we oftentimes will deceive ourselves. Because we have this head knowledge. We have this head knowledge about God. And about the way that God says we're supposed to live. And about what God's word says. But we don't have this heart knowledge. There's no connection between what we have up here and what happens in our heart. And what happens in our heart? Now that's our actions. This is a control center for our life. And there's a disconnect between our head and our heart. This head knowledge, that's easy. I mean, it's easy for us to act on things that we agree with, that, that fit into our lifestyle, that, that are convenient for us to obey. I mean, I think about the Ten Commandments. Like, like I don't know how many of us have a problem with murder. I wouldn't really guess most of us don't have a problem with murder. And so we think, well, that's easy. I can agree to that. Jesus, I got you on that. I didn't murder anybody. But then we hear things that are a little bit more troubling. Like Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. That's a little bit more troubling. Like that's a little bit harder for me to accept. And so I hear things, when they're easy for me to act on, when they agree with my lifestyle, sure, I'll, I'll completely agree to that. But then these things that when the Word of God confronts us and challenges us and convicts us and wants to change us, we are going to say, no, I'm going to put that aside. I'm not going to actually put that into action. What James is trying to show us is the Bible the Word of God. The Word evokes action. And listen, if there is no action, then there is no acceptance of the Word of God. If we just hear the Word of God, but don't actually put it into action, there's never truly been acceptance of what we just learned and studied. And James gives us this great example. He says in verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and he forgets what he was like. He's saying the Bible is like a mirror. The Bible is like a mirror. I, I read this week that as Americans, you and I will look at our reflection either in a mirror or in a window 16 to 30 times a day. Like that's how many times we look at ourselves throughout the day. I mean, if you could just imagine what, what, what James is saying. He's saying, imagine if I get up in the morning, wake up, and, and I go look at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. 
specimen of beauty right here. I look at myself, and then I go off to work, and somebody says, hey, tell me about yourself. And I say, yeah, man, I'm six foot seven. I've got long, flowing blonde hair. I'm ripped. I've got huge muscles. It's not funny. Stop laughing. Like, you'd say, you're, you're a fool. Like, that's not who you are. You're, you're foolish. And this is what James is saying. The Bible is like a mirror to your life. You open up the Bible, and you see ourselves the way that God sees us. That you see that we are, are sinful. We see that we have a need for Jesus. We see areas that we need to grow and learn and change. And we see what God is doing in our life. This is what the Bible does. The Bible is a mirror into our life. And listen, there's a different way to look at the mirror. Guys, we look at the mirror, we're like, man, look at that. That's amazing. We think that's beautiful. Ladies, when you look in the mirror, you're like, man, I, I need to fix this hair. It's out of place. I need to put a little makeup over here to cover that up. I need to do this and that. I mean, this is the way we're supposed to look at the word of God. It should show us the areas that we aren't right with God. We need to make right to God. We need to, to please him. The Bible, again, it's not about information. It's not about knowledge. The Bible is about transformation. I mean, I had a, had a pastor who, who defined the Bible like this, who gave us a really good understanding of what the Bible is. He said the Bible is about who God is. The Bible is about what God has done. The Bible is about how, uh, uh, how we are supposed to live in light of who he is and what he has done. It's about transformation, folks. Not just learning, not just knowledge, not just information. It's about transformation, transforming our hearts. This is what James says in verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He says, he will be blessed in his doing. He just talked about blessing. He said, listen, he said, when you look at the Bible this way, when you look at the Bible, not just to hear and to agree, not just to gain information and knowledge, but when you actually look at the Bible and you do something with it, you allow God's word to change your heart, to change your personality, to change your motives. When you do something with God's word, what James just said is we are blessed in that. We will be blessed when we look at God, God's word this way. Listen, I know there are some of you, some of you right here, where you get on the edge of your seat and saying, man, man, did he just say that God's blessing is conditional? That I have to do something in order to earn God's blessing? Let me be clear, I didn't say that. James did. James just said that, and James is being consistent with Scripture as a whole. Because what, what's happened is we've created this Christianity that stops at saying that Jesus loves you no matter what. We've created this Christianity that stops, that says that, that, that uh, God loves you no matter what you do. And listen, I want to be clear, that's absolutely true. Like, this is a glorious truth. That, that, that Jesus loves you no matter what. No matter what you've done, God's love is for you. That God loves us when we've done nothing to earn it. But here's the thing, we can't stop there. Because Jesus said some pretty crazy things. He never stopped there. Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You understand how significant this is? That, that Christianity is not just about belief. It's not just about having this head knowledge of who God is. It's not just having this affirmation of voting on the right side. I, I vote for Jesus. I vote for heaven. I don't vote for hell. I vote for Jesus and that's enough. Listen, James and Jesus and the whole Bible is saying, no, 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 no. You can't just hear God's word. You can't just vote for God's word. You've got to actually do it. You've got to actually be a hearer and a doer of the word of God. That when we understand our identity, that God loves us, that changes our activity. And we begin to obey and, and respond to God out of who he is and what he has done. And this is where our activity comes out of our identity. And this is what James is saying. We have to be a hearer as well as a doer of the word of God. And you begin to think, okay, I want to do this. I want to be both a hearer and a doer of the word of God. What does that look like? What does that look like? It's going to look different for all of us. But what James is going to do is he's going to give us a couple characteristics of people who hear and do the word of God. He's going to give us a couple characteristics of, of, of true faith. Verse 26. The first characteristic of somebody who has genuine faith in God, who is a hearer and a doer, is a person who has control over their tongue. This is what James says in verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious or has genuine faith and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. He says, If you don't bridle your tongue, your faith is not genuine. It's not valid. I mean, James has already talked about our tongue and our speech. And this is going to be a theme that James is going to talk about several times throughout uh, this book. And what he's trying to emphasize is your tongue tells the truth about your heart. The way you speak to people around you, it tells the truth about what's going on in your heart. Matthew, on the same idea, said in chapter, or excuse me, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is saying, man, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. He's saying, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourselves. Because when you speak, it tells the truth about your heart. You know what this means for you and I? The way that you and I speak about our spouse. The way you and I speak about our kids, our neighbors. The way we speak about our boss. The way we speak about uh, our classmates. The way we speak about our, our parents and our siblings. The way we speak about our, 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 our enemies. And so not just even the way we talk about them, but the way we speak to them. The way you speak to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your boss, to your classmates, to your parents, to your siblings, to your enemies. The way you speak reveals the truth about your heart. Listen, if you've got gossip and, and biting words and cursing and anger... If you've got these things that come out of your mouth, James is saying, don't be deceived. 
And this cuts deep. This should cut really deep for some of us in here. How does your faith look in light of your tongue? Do you talk? Do you, do, do, do you talk in a way that shows real and genuine faith? Do you talk in a way that shows that you are a hearer and a doer of the word of God? Second characteristics of having true faith, genuine faith of being a hearer and a doer of the word of God. James says in, uh, it's going to be uh, having a compassion for the disadvantaged. Because here's what he says in verse 27. He says religion. Now, when he's talking about religion, we want to be clear what he's talking about. He's talking about having a true and genuine faith. He's not talking about religion like I ascribe to Christianity or, or, or Buddhism or whatever the other religions are. He's talking about religion being true and genuine faith. He says, religion, faith, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. Now the orphans and widows, when James is writing this, these were the most oppressed people in their society. They had a very male-driven society where everything was centered on the man. And if a man died, then this caused the wife and the kids to be disadvantaged, to be oppressed. The wife wouldn't be able to go to work. She wouldn't be able to provide for the family. The kids would be left on their own. And so what James is saying, hey, you want to know what genuine faith looks like? It means this is somebody who visits orphans and widows in their affliction. Listen, this is, when he, visiting them in their affliction, this is moving beyond just having pity. This is beyond saying, I feel sorry for that person. This is beyond, man, I hope things get better for them. This means that you are moved with compassion. That you are going and doing and actively pursuing to alleviate their situation. Man, what does your faith look like? Man, are you compassionate? Are you doing anything to alleviate the hardships that are happening across our world? Are you doing anything to alleviate the hardships of those suffering right here in our own city? And I just will be speak on, uh, on behalf of Restoration Church. And I'm excited because this fall we're going to have an opportunity to put some options in front of you to help you accomplish this, to help you have compassion for the less advantaged. We're going to create a kind of a partnership with Madison House Community Center. Madison House Community Center is a, is a youth center right downtown Yakima on 4th Street in Spruce. And they work with, with at-risk youth, at-risk families. And uh, we're going to give you a couple practical opportunities to go and show your genuine faith by serving the at-risk youth and families of our city. First thing we're going to do is, is we're, we're going to adopt a Tuesday night. And we're going to do dinner at Madison House every Tuesday night. Okay? And let me tell you what this looks like. It's super easy. They provide all the food. All we have to do is provide four adults to go down and serve food to kids. And sit down with them and eat dinner with them. Like that is just a practical way for us to say, let's do this. Let's go and, and put our faith into action. Let's go and have a compassionate heart. And let's go love these kids. And let's sit down next to them. And let's talk to them about life. Let's talk to them about school. Let's talk to them about faith. Let's talk to them about Jesus. And let me tell you, this is the way it's going to roll out. Is We're going to be communicating this through our life groups in the next week or so. And so you're like, man, this is a great opportunity. It takes it takes an hour. 
It takes an hour of your time to love these kids in the name of Jesus. To show compassion to the at-risk of our community. Second opportunity for us as a church is we're throwing the harvest party at Madison House October 28th. This is where we have three to four hundred, maybe five hundred, predominantly at-risk kids and their families who come to Madison House. And we put on games, we give a bunch of candy, we tell them about Jesus, and we love them in the name of Jesus. Listen, what does your compassion show about your faith? Are you concerned for the at-risk around us? I invite you, this is an opportunity to jump in and to show that compassion. And the last thing that James is going to say is being a characteristic of true and genuine faith, of being a hearer and a doer of the Word of God. He's going to say that we have a separation from the ways of this world. That's where he says in verse 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, is to visit the orphans and the widows and their affliction. We've talked about that. But now he says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want to be clear, he's not talking about us being perfect. He's not talking about us being perfect because none of us are going to be perfect this side of eternity, myself included. When he's talking about the world, he's going to refer to the world systems, the ways in which the world works, the values that the world has. And he's saying, I want you to be unstained from the world's systems. I want you to embrace God's way of living instead of the world's way of living. I want you to embrace the kingdom mentality instead of the world mentality. Because the world says, the world says, hey, everything's about serving me. Like people are there to serve me and to make me better and to make me feel good and to make me whatever. And the kingdom of God says, no. No, we're not here to be served. We're here to serve others. The emphasis isn't about me. The emphasis is about other people. This is how you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Are you looking to be served? Or are you looking to serve others? The end of this world says it's all about my name. It's about trying to make me greater, about my name greater, about my, my financial portfolio bigger and greater. And Jesus is saying, be unstained, unspotted like that. And the, the kingdom of God says, man, it's all of a sudden about my name. It's about Jesus' name. The things I do are to bring glory to Jesus and not glory for myself. The world's mentality uses people and loves money. You love people and you use money, and that's how you get more money, and this is the world's mentality. But again, the kingdom of God says differently. It says we love people and we use money. And this is what James is saying. Hey, the way the world works, this should not be the way that you operate your life. Your life should be lived by kingdom principles, not by world principles. And this is what it looks like for us to have true and genuine faith. That we live by kingdom of God principles. And this is James' plea to us. That we would be both hearers and doers of the word of God. I just want to ask you right now just to close your eyes for just a moment. Just to close your eyes for a moment. Just think about what it looks like for you and I to be hearers and doers of the Word of God. I wonder how many of us in here today are willing to just admit our anger problem. Are willing to admit, man, I've got a struggle with an anger. 
fact, how many of you would say, man, that's me? Just, just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I've got that anger issue. I've got that struggle, that quick to anger. Man, I see those hands. I see those hands. Listen, I just want to implore you. Hear God's truth today. Hear the word of God. Receive and embrace the gospel. Ask God to save you. Ask God to save you from that anger. To heal you from that anger. To give you that heart that is slow to anger. And I'm just curious, how, how many of us in here today would say, man, I have a propensity to have a lot of knowledge, but sometimes struggle putting God's word into action? How many of us would raise our hand and say, man, that fits me. Where I, I've got a lot of knowledge, I, I, I love the word of God, and I vote on the right side, but sometimes it's hard for me to put it into action in my life. And I see those hands. I see those hands. So I just encourage you today, encourage you today to be a hearer and a doer of the word of God. That you would be able to have true and genuine faith. That you would be a person who has control over your tongue, compassion for the disadvantaged, and separation from the ways of the world. God, I just want to pray on behalf of each of these people who've raised their hands today, that God, you would comfort them in their anger, that you would help them to get the vision of who you are, of your grace for them, of your love for them. And that God, that they would understand that as they embrace who you are, as they embrace the love that you have for them, that God, you change them from the inside out. On these personality flaws that we have, that God, you would change them in us. That we would be like you said, that we would be somebody who's quick to listen, who's slow to speak, and slow to anger. God, I pray for every one of us in here today. God, the reality is we all have a propensity to sometimes not live the way we're supposed to. So God, I pray for every one of us that we would be a, both a hearer and a doer of the word of God. That our lives would be marked by, by, by a love for who you are and allowing that to change us, even when it's hard. And God, I just pray for your spirit to rest on us now. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to God's word today through worship. Some of us will need to take a few minutes during this time just to pray, just to cry out to God. Some of us need to spend some time just standing up and, and worshiping and saying, God, you are so good that you have called me to be the first fruits of your creatures, that I am chosen by you. However it is, I invite you to spend a few minutes between you and the Lord. The worship team will sing a couple of songs. When you're ready, I invite you to join in and sing with them. Just spend this time right now between you and the Lord. God, we love you and praise you when I pray for your presence to be on us now, that you would continue to work in our hearts. And we'd wrestle with these things with you right now. Jesus, I love you and I praise you and I ask this in your name. Amen.